You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on my book, Sustainable Frontiers, Unlocking Change Through Business, Leadership and Innovation. The implications of a transition to the consciousness age are outlined by Russell in a scenario which he calls the High Synergy Society. He describes some of the likely consequences of such a shift in the following terms. No limits to growth. Personal and spiritual growth become as important, if not more important, than growth defined in material terms. Unemployment revalued. The reduced need for formal employment and a growing use of time for inner development or self-actualization. Healthy, holy and whole. A movement towards holistic health practices and a corresponding decrease in physiological stress and illness. Left and right. A shift towards greater synthesis of right brain, feminine or yin activities and left brain, masculine or yang qualities. Synchronicity rules, an increase in the occurrence of meaningful coincidences at an individual and collective or super-social organism level. Certainly positive transformative visions of the future beyond the information age are not limited to those of Henderson and Russell. Others may be found in the writings of Marilyn Ferguson in The Aquarian Conspiracy, Fridjof Capra in The Turning Point, Francis Kinsman in Millennium, Willis Harmon in Global Mindshift, and Jonathan Porritt in The World We Made, to mention but a few. Whatever your favorite metaphor, do not underestimate the importance of identifying and working with these post-industrial guiding images, and thereby creating a better future for all life on Earth. After all, we do literally create our future limited only by the boundaries of our imagination. Sustainable Frontiers forecasts for the next 10 years. So, how is the future of sustainable business looking? Let me share 10 forecasts which summarize much of the thinking that we've covered in this season of the podcast. Sustainable Frontiers forecast 1. First, I have consistently argued that what is needed and what is just starting to emerge is a new approach to sustainable enterprise. I don't mind what you call it, but I have described it as transformative CSR, corporate sustainability and responsibility, or CSR 2.0. This is a purpose-driven, principle-based approach in which business seeks to identify and tackle the root causes of our present unsustainability and irresponsibility, typically through innovating business models, revolutionizing their processes, products and services, and lobbying for progressive national and international policies. Hence, over the next 10 years, we will see most large international companies having moved through the first four stages or types of CSR, defensive, charitable, promotional and strategic, and practicing to varying degrees transformative CSR or CSR 2.0. Sustainable Frontiers Forecast number 2. The problem with the current obsession with CSR codes and standards, including the ISO 26000 standard, is that it encourages a tick-box approach to CSR. But our social and environmental problems are complex and intractable. 
they need creative solutions, like the peel-and-stick solar technology that Stanford University has invented, or the ocean cleanup founded by the Dutchman Boyan Slat. By deploying Slat's system of long floating arms attached to the seabed for 10 years, it's estimated that almost half of the plastic within the Great Pacific garbage patch can be removed. Hence, over the next 10 years, reliance on CSR codes, standards and guidelines like the UN Global Compact, ISO 14001, SA 8000 and so on, will be seen as a necessary but insufficient way to practice CSR. Instead, companies will be judged on how innovative they are in using their products and services to tackle social and environmental problems. Sustainable Frontiers Forecast number 3 Another shift which is only just beginning is taking CSR solutions to scale. There is no shortage of charming case studies of laudably responsible and sustainable projects. The problem is that so few of them ever go to scale. We need more examples like Walmart's choice editing by voluntarily limiting the company to their use of sustainable fish Walmart forces its customers to do the same. Other examples are Nissan's Leaf model, which is targeting the mass market for electric cars, or PhoneBlocks, which is promoting a modular approach to mobile phone manufacture to make electronic waste recyclable. Hence, over the next 10 years, self-selecting ethical consumers will become less relevant as a force for change. Companies, strongly encouraged by government policies and incentives, will scale up their choice editing, in other words, ceasing to offer less ethical product ranges, thus allowing guilt-free shopping. Sustainable Frontiers Forecast number 4 A trend that will continue to strengthen is the use of cross-sector partnerships. This is in recognition of the fact that the problems we face today are too global, complex and multifaceted for a single institution to solve. One good example is the Corporate Leaders Group on Climate Change, which has systematically and collectively urged the UK and EU governments to set bolder climate policies. Hence, over the next 10 years, cross-sector partnerships will be at the heart of all CSR or sustainability approaches. These will increasingly be defined by business bringing its core competencies and skills rather than just its financial resources to the party as DHL does with its logistics capability in helping to distribute life-saving medicines to remote areas. Sustainable Frontiers Forecast number 5 The idea of Think Global, Act Local has been in circulation for some decades now and indeed was given prominence at the original Rio Earth Summit in 1992. However, companies are still learning to practice this balancing act combining international norms with local contexts, finding local solutions that are culturally appropriate without forsaking universal principles. Hence, over the next 10 years, companies will be expected to comply with global best practice principles, such as those in the United Nations Global Compact or the RUGI Human Rights Framework, but simultaneously to demonstrate sensitivity to local issues and priorities. An example is mining and metals giant BHP Billiton, which have strong climate change policies globally, as well as malaria prevention programs in southern Africa.
Sustainable Frontiers Forecast Number 6 A clear failing of our current economic and commercial system is based on a fundamentally flawed design, which acts as if there are no limits on resource consumption or waste disposal. Hence, we need a cradle-to-cradle approach, closing all resource loops and ensuring that products and processes are inherently good rather than less bad, as Shaw Carpets does when taking back its carpets at the end of their useful life, and Nike is starting to do with its considered design principles. Hence, over the next 10 years, progressive companies will be required to demonstrate full life cycle management of their products from cradle to cradle. We will see most large companies committing to the goal of zero waste, carbon neutral and water neutral production, with mandated take-back schemes for most products. Sustainable Frontiers Forecast Number 7 The way that we measure and report on social, environmental and ethical performance is changing. As the Global Reporting Initiative, Carbon Disclosure Project and other standards are strengthened, a consensus on useful metrics is emerging. What is still missing, however, is an agreed set of mandatory metrics, publicly accessible in a database, which makes comparison possible. Current CSR indexes rank the same large companies over and over, often with differing conclusions. Hence, over the next 10 years, much like the Generally Accepted Accounting Practices, or GARP, some form of Generally Accepted Sustainability Practices, or GASP, will be agreed, including consensus principles, methods, approaches and rules for measuring and disclosing CSR or sustainability. Further, a set of credible rating agencies will have emerged for social and environmental issues. Sustainable Frontiers Forecast number 8 The role of government in the future will still be crucial. Many of the issues that CSR or sustainability is currently trying to tackle on a voluntary basis will be mandatory in the future, especially with regards to emission reductions, of toxics or greenhouse gases, waste practices and transparency. There will also be a gradual harmonisation of country-level legislation on social, environmental and ethical issues. Hence, over the next 10 years, many of today's CSR practices will be mandatory requirements. However, CSR or sustainability will remain a voluntary practice an innovation and differentiation frontier for those companies that are either willing and able or pushed and prodded through non-governmental means to go ahead of the legislation to improve quality of life around the world. Sustainable Frontiers Forecast number 9 The form and media for transparency are rapidly evolving as we've seen. We can expect annual CSR reporting to be increasingly replaced by online, real-time performance data flows. Feeding into these live communications will be Web 2.0 connected social networks and wiki-style forums for crowdsourcing, such as Wikirate and Convetit. Hence, over the next 10 years, corporate transparency will take the form of publicly available sets of mandatory disclosed ESG, or Environment, Social and Governance data, available down to a product lifecycle impact level, as well as Web 2.0 collaborative CSR 
feedback platforms, WikiLeaks type whistleblowing sites and product rating applications. Sustainable Frontiers forecast number 10. The way that companies manage CSR will also change. CSR departments will most likely shrink, disappear or disperse as the role of a CSR generalist is confined to small policy functions. By contrast, specialists in various aspects of CSR will be required and performance across responsibility and sustainability dimensions will increasingly be built into corporate performance appraisal systems, salaries, bonuses, promotion opportunities and so on, as is already the case in companies like Arco, the confectionery company in Argentina. Hence, over the next 10 years, CSR will have diversified back into its specialist disciplines and functions, leaving little or no CSR departments behind, yet having more specialists in particular areas like climate, biodiversity, human rights, community involvement, and more employees with knowledge of how to integrate CSR in issues into their functional areas like HR, marketing or finance. Collectively, these forecasts reflect a scenario of widespread adoption of CSR 2.0 over the next 10 years, a future in which companies become a significant part of the solution to our sustainability crises, rather than complicit contributors to the problem, as they are today. Given the current global crises and mounting system pressures, and knowing businesses' ability to adapt and rapidly change, I regard this as a highly likely prediction sketched out by a concerned pragmatist rather than the wish list of a true CSR believer. To survive in a volatile world, businesses must build in resilience. Speaking of true believers, if you have arrived wearing your superhero outfit, and I admit I may be partly to blame, I'm going to have to ask you to remove your mask, cape and tights now. Don't get me wrong, when the world needs saving and I'm done paying off my mortgage and carrying out the trash, I'll be the first one to dial a superhero. But in the meantime, you see, despite all the visions and forecasts I've shared, the world still has this nasty habit of changing without our permission. In fact, without us having so much as poked it in the eye, and so we, as individuals, organizations, or whole nations, often find that we are no longer the agents of change, but rather its victims. Change happens, and we are left somewhere between mildly irritated and battling for our very survival. According to Business Week, the average life expectancy of a Fortune 500 company is between 40 and 50 years. One-third of Fortune 500 companies in existence in 1970 had vanished already by 1983, acquired, merged or broken into pieces. Looking across the full spectrum of companies, large and small, the average life of companies may be as low as 12 and a half years. So I want to end this episode with a reality check. Can we really afford to talk about long-term sustainability? when short-term survival is so hard to achieve? The sobering fact is that we face a future in which saving the world may have to wait while we save ourselves first. Chances are we will even have to give up the smooth and swanky practice of sustainability while we get down and dirty in the trenches of rough, rude resilience. 
The bad news is that our silky green spandex outfits are probably not going to survive the trip. The good news is that resilience can be learned and planned for in advance. In a world of increasingly volatile sustainability challenges, there are five strategies for resilience that can dramatically increase our chances of survival when the waves of disruptive change come crashing in. They are to defend, diversify, decentralize, dematerialize, and define. A defensive strategy can take on many forms, the most obvious of which is to ensure against catastrophe, whatever form that may take. This only works if the crash is not systemic, but it is a good start. Other tactics include having a crack squad of troubleshooters trained to respond in times of crisis and building up reserves for the proverbial rainy day, which may turn out to be a tsunami. A diversification strategy applies to people, products and markets. For example, if you bet your corporate life on being a fossil fuel company rather than an energy company, or if you are locked into a local market without any global investments, you are highly vulnerable. Likewise, if you hire an army of employee clones, your lack of diversity will leave you brittle in the face of change. A decentralization strategy is based on the same rationale that inspired the internet. By decentralizing information and building in redundancy on local servers, the internet is far less vulnerable to being taken out in a single hit. In the same way, by decentralizing operations, infrastructure and solutions, as with decentralized energy for example, we can be better prepared to cope with disruption. A dematerialization strategy means moving to an industrial model that reduces dependency on resources. The only viable way to do this in the long term is to shift to renewable energy and to optimize the circular economy. Hence, anything we can do to decouple economic growth from environmental impacts is a step in the right direction for greater resilience. Finally, a defining strategy is about giving people a purpose to believe in. Viktor Frankl, survivor of four Nazi concentration camps and psychiatric author of Man's Search for Meaning, gives compelling evidence that our resilience under extreme circumstances often comes down to having an existential belief about something worth living for. Can sustainability offer us this compelling cause? By pursuing these five resilience strategies, individuals, organizations and even countries will be much better placed to endure the creative destruction to come. However, preparing for change is not the same thing as surviving it. Resilience is not a strategy but an ability, one which is shaped and tempered in the fire of extreme experience. At its heart, this ability to be resilient is about adapting when everything around us is changing, like an aspen tree. Aspen forests are able to survive frequent avalanches that literally flatten them. The trees survive and spring back up because they have an interconnected network of underground roots and their branches and trunks are highly pliable. This brings us back full circle to the message that I introduced in the very first episode on unlocking change. Namely that the secret to transformational change in the world is connectivity. 
to which we can now add that dexterity is also absolutely critical. After all, Darwin never claimed that the survival would be only for the fittest, but rather for the most adaptable.